If you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalm chapter 8. And um, I was planning on covering a few Psalms, but you know, we're going to see tonight that this Psalm right here is packed with uh, just so much truth. And I think that, you know, as we're studying the Bible together, I pray that you guys have a hunger for it because the Bible can change your life. You know, most of us here, when we eat things, we want it to be dead, right? For the most part, you know, I mean, you know, whatever it is, I've even had crickets to go to Cambodia. We eat crickets and even them, we make sure they're dead, you know, because we don't want them really jumping around inside of our stomach or anything, you know, Um, uh, but the Bible's alive. You know, we take it in. And it is the living word. And as we study it together, as we're reading it, and just with a heart, you know, to obey, then God does a work and there's power. You know, one of the things the Lord's been showing me lately is just read the Bible. Read it for extended periods of time. Uh, A lot of people, they're okay watching television. They're okay with doing other things for, you know, large sums of time. But what about the scriptures? And so... I want to encourage you, saturate yourself in the scriptures, open up your Bible. A lot of people say it's kind of like a a cup of tea. You know, how strong will the tea be? Well, it depends on how long it's soaking in the water. How how strong will you be? Uh, A lot of that is probably going to be be determined by how long and how sincere you are in your Bible reading. And so it's a blessing to see you here tonight. Uh, Psalm 8, notice what you read in the introduction. It says, to the chief musician, to the tune of, I'm sorry, Psalm 8, to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. And so it's a, uh, an instrument of Gath only mentioned twice in the Psalms, over in 81.1 and 84.1. Uh, any of you here play guitar out of curiosity? Um, some of you here do. For all you guitar lovers, uh, we believe that more than likely this was a guitar-like harp that they had. It was associated with the city of Gath, which is a Philistine city. And so we don't know if somewhere early on David you know, had it imported or maybe it was something that he picked up when he was in uh, Philistia, when he spent time there. But now this particular psalm is significant because it has the guitar and it's directed to the chief musician. And so uh, we read in verse 1, David says, I will, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who set your glory above the heavens. And so this is going to be our bookend in the beginning and the end. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is your name in all the earth. Can we say that together? Uh, one, two, three. Oh, Lord. How excellent is your name. You know, it's, it's an expression of praise. It's really an awesome uh, thing. You know, he mentions the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's uh, most of the Bibles will kind of show it that way. What that is, is is God's covenant name. Uh, We don't really know for sure what it is. It could be Yahweh. It could be Yehovah. Uh, The Hebrews would never uh, use the the name because they felt that if they said it, they were unclean and therefore they might invoke God's judgment upon themselves. And so over the years, they only had the consonants. They didn't really have the vowels. We don't really know uh, how to pronounce this name. And so when you read it in your Bible where it's all caps, Lord, Just know that that's God's personal covenant name 
for the most part, you're safe to say that what that is, is God saying, I am. We're going to look at this more later. But, you know, we all have a name, right? My name is Manny. Uh, His name is Matthew. We have Henry sitting in the back over there. This is God's personal name, capital O, capital L, O-R-D. And then where it says, Lord, O Lord, our Lord, that's more of a title. Right. In the Hebrew, it's Adonai. It means it means master. Right. And, and so it's an expression of praise directed to the one God, the personal God, the the creator God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And he goes on in praise in verse two. David says out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger now this is a very important verse looking at it in new king james is a little difficult to understand i like the way the nlt puts it it says you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength silencing your enemies who oppose you I mean, imagine that little kids silencing Satan, a little child defeating the devil. This is something that God does. What David is doing here is he's offering pure praise. Remember what he's saying? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It's his pure praise fueled with the faith of a child about how awesome God is. And that type of mentality, that type of praise has a way of silencing the enemy and defeating the opposition that you and I are experiencing. We're going to see this is so, so cool. You know, um, we're going to see later Jesus talks about how when the kids were saying Hosanna to him and the religious leaders got upset, he said, why are you upset with the kids that are giving perfect praise? That God has, has a way of, of perfecting praise through the children. You know, and that's what it's required of us. A lot of you guys, you're just too grown up. You're too sophisticated, man. You're, you're too, you know, whatever, educated, man. We need to go back to having that, that faith of a child. It's so solid. It's so simple. It's so sincere. The little children, and we, a lot of times we experience it. They are way more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than, than we are, huh? And, you know, you tell them about, you know, Santa Claus. I wouldn't encourage you to do that, but maybe you do. Do they have a problem believing that? No way. You tell them about, you know, the Easter bunny. What a terrible thing to replace the resurrection with the bunny. But some people do that. Do the kids believe? Absolutely. You tell them about the tooth fairy. You put the tooth down there and, you know, it gives you a dollar while you're sleeping. I mean, the children believe. And, and when it comes to God, it's the same thing. I mean, they have this faith. There is a God that is watching over my life. There is a, there is a heaven. I mean, they have this faith. And, and, this, and as they have this faith, David is saying, that's fueling my praise. It's an amazing psalm right here. Like I said earlier, Jesus alluded to this verse, particular verse in Matthew 21 and verse uh, 15 and 16. He said, the, the kids cry perfect praise you know, when the kids were up here singing uh, Christmas Day, that was beautiful. 
You know, and you go over there and my son, he likes to you know, lead the kids in praise and I try to tell him to come up here and, and do it on this platform and I'm not sure exactly why he won't, but man, he likes it way better over there. Maybe it's because, I don't know, I'm putting him on the spot, but maybe it's because there's just something beautiful about when those children are praising God. And I'm not saying that that, that can't be the, the, the case here, but is it? I mean, when you're singing to the Lord, are, are you, do you know who you're singing to? Is it, is, it, is it faith? Is it fueled by faith? Is it pure praise? Is it sincere? Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? That's what David is doing right now. He's offering this pure praise. You know, when the Lord went into Jerusalem, it was after his triumphal entry, and then he goes in and he cleanses the temple. And then, you know, we read there in Matthew twenty-one fifteen that the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, And the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And so these religious leaders, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. And and, and when you praise with power, with purity, the walls fall down. Satan is silenced. The devil is defeated. You know, no matter what you might be going through, you offer this type of praise. Verse 1 here is a, is a declaration of, of pure praise. And then, and then David goes on in verse 3, and he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the the moon and the stars which you have ordained. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And, and tonight, you know, this is going to be, you know, just an awesome uh, astronomy lesson, I guess. I mean, I don't know a lot, but we'll touch on it. You know, David says, when I, when I consider the heavens, do you consider the heavens? Do you? Do you ever look up in the sky and check out the sea of stars that God has put there for us to demonstrate his glory? You know, I mean, the Hebrew word right here translated consider, it means not only to see, but it, but it means to study, you know. And just out of curiosity, when was the last time you studied the, the stars? You know, not astrology, that's demonic, okay. Uh, astronomy, you know, do you guys ever take that class in school? Any of you guys here? Maybe look up an encyclopedia, you go online, you know, study the stars. Um, What happens as we pay attention to the testimony in the sky, it's a revelation of God's glory, who according to Genesis chapter 1, he spoke everything into existence by the power of his word from nothing. So he didn't go down to Home Depot and get the material necessary you know, to make the stars. There weren't gases. There was nothing, nothing. And he spoke it all into existence by the power of his word. And what David is saying is you need to study that stuff. You need to consider what God has created. You know, I mean, it's good. Read your Bible. But then also, you know, look up at the stars. We we, we can't go out right now and, and look up at the stars, but let's pretend, you know, we're David there as a young shepherd boy lying down on the field, you know, looking up at the stars, overwhelmed 
by what he saw. You know, we have one picture here, you know, and any of you guys, one time we went to the Grand Canyon, I remember, because you can't really see it a lot here because there's too many other lights that get in the way. So we went to the Grand Canyon with some friends, you know, and then we, we took a, a road and it was, it was just pitch black everywhere. And then we got out of the car and then we looked up. This is what we saw. I mean, just the, the sea of stars and, 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 it, and what it does. And we're going to see as we look at this is it, it's, it shows us the, the glory of God. You know, Psalm 19, verse one and two, it says the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship day after day. They continue to speak and night after night they make him known. Romans one twenty it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I mean, I know back then and, and there in Bible days, you could look up at the night sky and see the stars, and they spoke of the glory of God. They testified every single night. That's one of the things that is kind of a bummer living in a concrete jungle. You know, but when you go camping and you see just the beauty of things, I mean, you begin to see God's handiwork, right? I mean, nowadays, we here in the big cities of the States, we don't see a lot. But I will say this. We do have telescopes, huh? I mean, we have like Hubble telescopes. I mean, we have pictures of the stars and so even though we might not see them like they did back then over there yonder we do see the glory of god's majesty and i'll tell you what you guys we're probably more accountable now than they were then i mean we've studied and we've learned a lot like i'll share with you guys some of the things i wrote down we've learned that the single star in our solar system the sun is 870,000 miles in diameter. And so that's huge. You know, I'm talking about how wide the sun is. 870,000 miles wide. So you could fit, some say, 1,300,000 Earths in our star. I mean, our star, this sun is, is huge. 93 million miles away. But once uh, the earth turns and the, and the light begins to shine towards planet earth, the light travels. It takes us eight minutes and then, and then it starts warming up the earth. That's how huge that star is. And God just spoke it into existence by the power of his word. And yet I'm sure you know that our star, the sun, it really isn't all that big compared to some of the other stars out there. For example, Ada Carinae is a star uh, 7,500 light years away. And so you guys know what light years are? 186,000 miles per second. So that means you can go to New York and back 31 times in a second. That's how fast light speed is. 186,000 miles per second, and you travel that speed for an entire year. That's one light year. And so this particular star is um, uh, 7,500 light years away. But with this star right here, Eta Carinae, 
is 400 times larger than our sun. And here's the thing that blows us away. Uh, Scientists tell us that it shines 4 million times brighter than our sun. You know, and we're talking about our sun being pretty bright. And you might wonder, well, how is it? How does it shine brighter? Well, that's just how God made it. It's kind of like light bulbs, right? We have light bulbs. Most of our light bulbs in our houses, 75 watts, right? 100 watts, right? But do you know that GE made a light bulb that's 75,000 watts? God did that with the stars, <laughs> You know, some stars, I mean, it's pretty amazing how bright it is. You know, our sun, 100, you know, I mean, it's this huge. But then we got this other star, 400 times larger, but 4 million times brighter. God made that star. There's another star. It's called Canis Majoris. It's located 5,000 light years away. And it's uh, 2,100 times larger than our sun. It's this huge. We have a picture here. And I'm, I don't, I'm sure you can't see it from where you are, but that's Canis Majoris. And the sun is that, that little spot right there. And, and, and it's huge. Who made that? God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And David here, he begins to offer perfect praise, pure praise, fueled by the faith of a child, knowing without a shadow of a doubt how, how dumb that someone could think that creation is here, you know, by random chance, by evolution. Everything we see here has come to exist. I mean, we have big stars because we have a big universe. You guys ever studied that? Have you ever considered how big... Our universe is uh, if the distance between the sun and the earth, which is 93 million miles away, was represented by a single sheet of paper. You guys know how thin that is, right? Let's just say I put a piece of paper right there. It's super thin right there. 93 million miles. If that was represented by the single sheet of paper, then you would need a stack of 71 feet high. All that all 93 million miles every single paper, 71 feet high to represent the distance between Earth and the nearest star in our Milky Way galaxy, which is Alpha Centauri. But to represent the distance between Earth and the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, you would need a stack of paper 310 miles high. That's how huge our Milky Way galaxy is. So you got the nearest star, 71 feet high. You've got the edge of the Milky Way galaxy now. It's 310 miles high, but that would be a short stack compared to how big the known universe is. You would have to go up with all those paper representing 93 million miles, each one of them. You would have to go up 30 million miles high. That's how big our our universe is. Now, you know, for some of you here, it's like, that's eh, no big deal because you're not saved. One of the things that happens to a person when they get saved is they are enamored with creation. I, don't, I could look at a little, you know, saltwater fish and I trip out on all the colors. 
The other day we were over at one of the restaurants and that salt water. And I'm like, Lord, you made that, you know, and then you're looking at the stars, you're looking at the galaxies and and you're thinking, man, our God, he's an awesome God. And, and, and these stars and these galaxies, they, God spoke it all into existence by the power of his word. And not only did he made it, he maintains it. You know, Isaiah 40, verse 26 is a great verse. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. How many stars are there? Do you know? Have you ever studied that? We don't know for sure, but, you know, and it's a huge gap. It's a huge uh, uh, range. But, but minimum 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Some say a trillion. 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And on average, that's about how many stars there are in every galaxy. And there's 100 billion stars galaxies he made everything that's what david is saying here oh lord our lord how excellent is your name in all the earth and here's the thing he says in verse four you know verse three again i consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have ordained and here's the thing he says what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. You know, the, the God who made all that is, is mindful of man. He's mindful of the son of man. He's mindful of my children. He, he's mindful of you, right? The Hebrew word translated mindful, it means to remember. Lord, you're absolutely awesome beyond my wildest imagination. I mean, here I am, a dust particle, and really in, in this little planet that's so puny comparison to all the galaxy and yet i i i know who i am i am on your mind and that's really i think in one sense the thing that just blows him away the most you know um the other day i was with my my family and we were going through a new devotional for the year we just got done with spurgeon Last year, and so this year we're going through one by Max Ucato. And on, on day one, uh, he goes through a devotional. And, and what he says basically is this. He says, when you pray, I, I want you to know what happens. That when we pray, we go into God's throne room. And it's almost as if God then looks at us. And, 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 and Max Ucato says, and he's interested in what you have to say. That's the God of the universe that as we go, you know, into his presence, he's like, oh, okay, sit down. You know, what, what do you have to say? What's going on? And then when, for some reason, I've been a Christian for a long time, but for some reason, this time around, when I heard that, it really hit me hardest. Actually, I think transformed my prayer life. I mean, what is man though? Lord, you made everything. What is man that you're mindful of him? That's what he's saying right here. The word mindful it talks about him remembering us and then verse four if notice right there it says on the son of man that you visit him it says that god visits us and so you know this creator he comes to us he 
And he comes to our home. He comes to our heart because he cares for us. You know, we just got done celebrating Christmas. What is Christmas? It's the incarnation when God came to planet Earth. What the psalmist is saying is there needs to be a consideration of that incarnation. And so, what do you do with that? What, what do you do when you hear about this great God who in all reality shouldn't even be thinking of us or, or, or remember us because in all reality, at the end of the day, it seems like we are like insignificant. So, so what do you do with that? There's different ways you can go with it. You can just leave it there if you want. But I, that's not what, what David wants. That's not what God wants. He wants us to keep going and knowing that because of God's amazing grace, we are infinitely more than just the dirty dust particles that we might think we are. We're not what the educational system is telling us that we are. We're not animals. We're not here by random chance. We're actually more important to him than not just the stars, but the sum of the stars. In one sense, you might even be able to say you're superstars. Do you, do you know that about yourself? You know, I'm not trying to say, you know, self-esteem, you know, and if you're sagging in self-esteem, then, you know, I'm talking about God esteem. I'm talking about just coming to that understanding of who you are. A lot of people growing up, their parents put them down all, man, their whole life. You know, you're nothing. You'll never be anything. You're such a failure, you know, you. And then, you know what? Over time, that begins to take its toll. Next thing you know, the teacher's saying it to it. Siblings are saying they grow up. Sometimes their spouse is saying that to them. You're nothing. You're insignificant. You'll never really matter. You'll never be anything that's important. And, and, and here is God saying, I disagree. I mean, you're more significant to me. You're in my mind. I come over your house. I live in your heart. You're more significant to me than the sum of the stars. Now, I know for a lot of you here, you're, it's just like it's hard to process that. It's hard to take that in. It's hard to really say, well, what does that mean? And how does it make a difference? And I, it's not going to really change you because you're not letting it soak in. But this is the key, I think, to everything in life. This is the key, I think, to coming to be like someone like David. That's what I want. He wasn't a perfect man. None of us will ever be perfect men or women. But David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man, intimate, personal, powerful, raised up by God, used by him. This is important. You know, God didn't suffer for or save a single star the way that he has us. And again, I think this is where David is going with the psalm. Did you notice again? Look back at verse 4. Did you notice the question, what is man? What is man? That, that's the question. You know, I, I think that this is important for us to see. What is man? 
that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him for you made him verse five, a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. You know, we read here that you made him a little lower than the angels. You guys ever study angels? What can angels do? They're pretty bad. I mean, you know, they're good. I mean, they're strong. I mean, they can do a lot of stuff. Huh? You, we're a little lower than the angels. Now, this is not demeaning. It really is in actuality a statement of honor. Because notice again, according to verse 5, it says that, that God has crowned man with glory and honor. Now, this is man. He's crowned us with glory and honor. Now, that's partially true now, but it's primarily true later. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you die, you will receive the crown of life in heaven. And when you go to heaven, when we're in heaven, we're going to see that then we're going to be above the angels. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that we will judge the angels. I mean, the Bible says in Isaiah 14, 16, that when we're in glory, one day, you guys, we're going to actually see the angels get judged. We will see the devil and we will say as, as we're there in our glorified bodies in heaven crowned with it we're going to look at the devil and the bible says we're going to say is this the one who made the earth tremble who shook the kingdoms and made the world the wilderness he's nothing because we will be glorified i mean i don't think sometimes i don't think we realize who we are we what is man and god says I've crowned him with glory and honor. And I think we need to see this for what it is. You know, we might not be able to fly. And then we see, like I said, partially now. Uh, we're going to see it primarily then. You know, but even now we see aspects of it, especially when God first made us, right, in the book of Genesis. You know, we may not be able to fly like the birds or swim like the fish, but in heaven we'll be able to. No, I'm just joking. I don't know for sure. <laughs> but how many of you here think that when we're in heaven, we're going to be able to fly? How many of you think that? You know, I kind of hope I can. I'll bet you almost anything, though, we'll just be able to think it. You know, I'm in Hawaii. Whatever. I'm in Disneyland. Just think how good Disneyland is going to be in heaven, you know? I mean, so we're not, we might not be able to fly now. We might not be able to swim like the fish. But we catch them, right? We even now have dominion over the animals, domesticated as well as wild. You go to the zoo, all the wild animals are there. Why? Because man is made in the image of God and has been given dominion over them. We are not animals, right? I mean, that's how we can have dominion over them. That's how God made us in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so what is man? He's created in the image of God. That means, and we have a little chart right here, four things that we're social creatures, moral creatures, 
We are rational creatures and we are spiritual creatures. We are social. That's why we like social media or whatever. You know, that's kind of fake stuff though. No, we can talk. We can talk, man. We're social. We can have these dialogues. We're moral. We're actually made with a conscience. That's why we kind of feel bad if we cut in line, you know, at McDonald's and we just kind of know it's not right, right? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're social, we're moral, we're rational. We can reason things out. We can know when we hurt someone's feelings. We're not like the animals. And of course, we're spiritual. And that means that we're made in God's image and we are eternal. As spiritual creatures, we can have a relationship with God. That's who we are. We are, we are made in His image, Right? made in the image of God, crowned with glory and honor. And so, you know, I don't know, maybe we can kind of summarize our, tonight's study in a couple of ways. Psalm 8, uh, first thing is, wow, the heavens to see creation. You guys, you're going through hard times? Look up the maker and maintainer of all those stars is mindful of you. So one, and I think we should be impressed by that, but it's up to you. One, creation, right, to see, the heavens to see, that's creation. And then number two is heaven for me. That's salvation. I, I praise God O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I praise you for this creation. I praise you for my salvation. And we're going to see this is amazing. We, we go back to verse 9 and he ends it the same way he started it. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. No, I mean, at least it should be, right? The, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Tetragrammaton. What that is, is God's covenant name. If you go back to Exodus three thirteen and 14, Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? God says, tell them that I am sent you. I am who I am. And I was, not I will be, I am. And what that means is self-existent and self-sufficient. That's God. That's who he is, amazing God. But he's also our, our Lord, right? I mean, our master. He owns us. You know what's kind of cool, though? Is not only do we belong to him, but in one sense, he belongs to us. Did you notice that right there? Oh, Lord, our Lord. And that's what the Bible says. And if you read the Song of Solomon, it talks about the relationship that the church has with Jesus Christ. And it says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, the, the Shulamite said, My beloved is mine, and I am his. See, the Lord is excellent, you guys. And, and, I, and I just pray that you would know that. Just for, for, for who he is. And then secondly, he's excellent for what he's done. See, the universe is his creation and it's pretty impressive. It should be. But you as Christians are his new creation. And in one sense, that's even more impressive. 
You see, because God, being mindful of us, sent his son to die on a cross for us so that you and I can spend eternity with him. That's how much he loves us. And as we place our faith, and it doesn't, you don't have to take a sophisticated, educated, you know, faith. You don't have to go to, you know, seminary and graduate with a degree in Hebrew or Greek. All you have to do is have the simple faith of a child. Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know you love me. I know you died for me. I know you rose again. And Jesus, I believe in you. And when you do, you're saved. And God comes in and he starts cleaning house. You know, he's, he's Lord and he calls the shots and we follow him. That's life as a Christian. You know, in, in closing, I just want to touch on one thing. Notice again in verse three, David says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. So we're talking about the stars. And in one sense, David is saying my God's fingers made it. Right. And so that's pretty impressive. I mean, imagine if you could just make a house with your fingers. Can't really do that, huh? No one here can make a house with your fingers. But what about if you put your arm into it? So I was thinking this because a lot of teachers will, will, will touch on this. And they think that maybe there's something in here that God is trying to say. If he can do this with his fingers, imagine what he could do with his arms. Imagine what God can do with his arms. Can you think of anything he can do with his arms? He can hug you. There's a really beautiful verse in which God carries us with his arms. But in order to establish a relationship with God, I'll tell you what, there's something else he can do with his arms. And there he hung on the cross and he died for your sins. There's a beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. It says, Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, and it's kind of, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about rolling up my sleeve right here. And I was going to show you guys my arms, you know. But <laughs> I didn't want you to laugh. But <laughs> it's kind of like that. That's what he's saying right there. Fingers, stars. That's pretty impressive what God can do with his fingers. But have you seen what God can do with his arms? He can save you. He has saved us. That to me is way more impressive. You know how excellent is his name in all the earth. And, you know, now we're not just David in the Old Testament. Now we're here in the New Testament. We've got New Testament light, right? And as time went on, we discovered his work. We don't even know his real name in the Old Testament. But God, that's all part of God's plan. God didn't make a mistake in that. What God wanted to do was eventually replace it with another name. And you guys know what the name is? Jesus, right? That name we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Matthew one twenty one, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he shall save his people from their sins, right? And Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now we can even say this, this verse with even more you know, passion. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. In closing, I, I, I want to read a story. We can have the musicians come up. You know, any of you here kind of grew up in the 60s out of curiosity? Any, any of you here, were you guys hippies? Any of you hippies here? Anyways, they say in the 60s up in this uh, San Francisco area, uh, a lot of the hippies, they, they moved down the coast to Santa Cruz. And, and I guess they had children. Uh, sometimes they got married, but... You know, they didn't really uh, have normal names for their children. Uh, they had weird names. They didn't name them John or, or Melissa or Brent or anything like that. You know, the, the names that they knew, named were different, like Time Warp or uh, Spring Fever, uh, Moonbeam, Earth, Love. These are some real names. Uh, Promise. They, you know, all these weird names began to end up in public school. And so that's when the kindergarten teachers, they first met uh, this one little boy, they called him Fruit Stand. And, and so um, a bit, a bit, apparently every fall, according to tradition, parents would bravely put the name tags on their children. They kiss them goodbye, send them off to school on the bus. And so it was for, for Fruit Stand as well. The, the teachers uh, thought the name was odd, but they knew well, a lot of the names are odd, right? And they tried to make the best of it. And so, you know, during the day, they say, hey, would you like to play with blocks, fruit stand? Um, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, later they said, fruit stand, how about a snack? And they, you know, <laughs> offered it to him. He accepted it hesitantly. But by the end of the day, his name didn't really seem much odder than, you know, the other names like, you know, Sun Ray and all the others, right? And so when it was time to go home, the teachers led the children out to the buses and they asked Fruit Stand, do you know which one is your bus? But he didn't answer. It, 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 was, it wasn't strange because really he hadn't answered all day. A lot of kids are shy on the first day of school. Um, but the teachers had instructed the parents. They said, it's okay. They instructed the parents to write the names of their children's buses on the back of their name tag. And so when they went up to Fruit Stand and they turned the back of his name tag over, it said Anthony uh, on the other side. <laughs> And, and I guess apparently, this is a true story, all along, they were kind of calling him by the wrong name. Uh, his name was Anthony, and his bus stop was, well, he was supposed to stop by the fruit stand. And so, no, I, I, here's the thing, and we'll, we'll close with this, okay? A lot of, a lot of people, the, the problem with us is, is we just don't really know his name. Oh, Lord, Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The, the creation, the salvation, the one who's mindful of me. He comes to my house to live in my heart. He saves me and he crowns me with glory and honor. I see it a little bit now, but I'll see it then like you won't even begin to imagine. And when you know the name of Jesus, then you win. One last verse, Psalm 9. Any of you guys close your Bibles? 
Psalm 9. Look at Psalm 9 in verse 10. It says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. Isn't that what we have done as Christians? I pray that if you haven't already done that, that today you will.